And he asked me over for dinner one night and sat me down and said, Hey, you're basically said, you're not the same kid I, I sent off to college. He was my trainer in high school um, for football. And he, he just said, you're not the same kid that I sent off to high school. You're a lot quieter. You're a lot more subdued. You don't joke around as much. You're not as like, you're just very serious all the time. And honestly, look depressed all the time. And, uh, he was like, basically you're not leaving until you let me know actually what, like what's going on with you. And it was the first time I ever opened up, um, opened up about what had gone on. And so again, he did a great job of saying, you know, I'm one, I'm sorry for what you went through. Nobody should have to go through that. All the things that you obviously want to hear, but he said also, now that you've gone through that, you have a responsibility. And that was really confusing to hear. And he said, you now have a responsibility to everybody you talk to, everybody you touch from now on to use that experience to make them better and make yourself better. Welcome to Scratch Your Own Itch Podcast, the show about the things we think about but don't ever talk about. My name is Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. These conversations are about creating a life worth living. With a focus on sharing stories about battles in our heads, topics range from depression, addiction, self-doubt, past traumas, and everyday compulsive thinking. And my hope is that the show will just shed some light on anyone in the dark that feels like they're alone in their daily struggles. Please take note that this show is not meant to be a replacement for a professional diagnosis or professional therapy. I am not a counselor or a therapist. Hey guys, so I've got a great, awesome dude on today. His name is Kyrie Oliver, and Kyrie is just a, a ball of, of wisdom, a huge impact on people's lives. He needed to be, he- be a hero to save himself, but the people closest to him at the time, his teammates, were the people putting him through the abuse. He realized that if anybody was going to save him, it had to be himself. So in today's episode, I'll uncover what it is to have a true impact on someone's life, even when you're only 23 years old. So I just want to, without further ado, introduce you guys to Kyrie Oliver. How you doing, Kyrie? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Great, man. Thank you so much for coming on Scratch Your Own It Shit, dude. Of course, of course. Uh, I really do. I got to give a context to how I know you because... You were a huge impact on my life when I needed it a lot. Uh, I luckily came uh, through your discovery on uh, Jeremy Ryan Slate's podcast, Create Your Own Life. And when I heard your story, I gave you a little message and you immediately got back to me. And uh, you even had a like an hour and 30 minute long conversation with me the next day, deep conversations about my struggles that I was going through and, and just trying to find myself in the world. And, um, then I, I was like thinking about how potential, how, or I was thinking about how big of a potential, um, my life could have now, like before I didn't really think much of myself. And, and after that conversation, it really had a huge shift 
in my own life to go, hey, I can be a leader. Like, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's degree in psychology, but I do have perspective and I have experience. And um, just by laying that experience out there, hopefully I'll make someone feel a little less alone. And you really made me realize that. And so I got to say, first of all, just thank you for that and being there for me when I needed it the most. Definitely, man. I'm glad I could be there. Yeah, dude. Um, so I, I want to get into your story and I'm always interested in uh, possibility hacking and kind of reverse engineering someone's story to how they got to where they got to today. Um, because mm-hmm. that's, that story kind of reveals that um, trauma that they had to overcome. And it's so much more relatable when that person who has has this awesome success now in their life. But how did they really get there? So um, please, you know, start where you'd like to start and, and tell us your story, Kyrie. Oh, well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess the, the big shift that happened that got to uh, maybe started me off on getting the perspective that I have now. It definitely didn't do everything because it's kind of a constant journey. But um, I was a Division One football player. I'm from Northern California. Um, I played football out of state. Went up to college, thought it was, you know, it was going to be the greatest thing in the world. I was going to play for a few years, go off to the NFL, kind of just follow that path that I saw so many other people before me follow. Um, very, very happy go lucky. I thought nothing could go wrong. I thought everything was going to be amazing. Everything was going to be great. And then about 11 days into getting to college, um, I actually, maybe four or five days in, I started having a little bit of problems with um, I was an offensive lineman. So some of the defensive guys on the team, we'd get into little tussles on the field, but didn't think it was a big deal. You know, it was kind of just natural with that much testosterone out there. It's going to just, you know, things are going to flare up every once in a while. Didn't think a big deal of it. And then my experience in high school was if kind of tensions go back and forth on the field, sometimes you get in fights, sometimes something happens. But then as soon as you're off the field, your brother again, like your your teammates again, you guys are back on the same page. And I thought that would translate over to college, and unfortunately it didn't. Um, and so after, I believe it was 11 days when I was on campus, the first time I had actually gotten, I got jumped by four of my teammates in the locker room. I had to go in for physical therapy for my ankle. And when I came out, started kind of getting into it with one of the guys, two more hop in, and then one more at the end of it. Um, and that kind of started a, a real interesting downward spiral at the time where it had happened probably two or three times a week. I didn't tell anybody because I saw that the culture on the team was people really got away with whatever. We'd have guys get arrested and we'd have guys fail drug tests. Um, you know, guys, the coaches or the staff would just throw it out. Um, guys get arrested. We've had guys arrested for bar fights, hitting their girlfriends, random stuff. The head coach would go down to the precincts, say, hey, sorry, he'll never do it again. They get a slap on their wrist. Maybe they get some extra conditioning. And that was it. So from my understanding, it was, A, what if I say something about what happened to me and nobody believes me? Or B, what if they do believe me? And now I'm the guy who snitched on everybody. I'm the guy who told. And that's incredibly frowned upon, you know, obviously, especially when people are doing things that they're not supposed to. Um, so I kind of just, I, I made it from my mind that I was going to 
deal with it. I also thought that I was 18 and that I was a grown man at the time. <laughs> and so I just thought this is, uh, you know, maybe a grown man would just take it. Maybe a grown man would just fight back as hard as you could. And whatever happened at the end of the day was just, that was the outcome. And, um, ended up getting it lasted for about seven months. I ended up going back home for Christmas <clears throat> and over Christmas I had, uh, our head coach had gotten fired. So we'd had a brand new head coach come in. We had probably 15, 16 guys kicked off the team. Um, so I'd convinced myself over Christmas break that there was going to be a culture shift in the team. Um, that when I got back from vacation, that everything would be different. Um, you know, things would just kind of restart fresh. And I'd done a very, very good job of convincing myself of that. And then, um, the first day back, we had a team meeting. And, um, after the team meeting, I went to go get my ankle worked on again, go back into the locker room. Same thing happens again. Same. It's, it always started off between me and one guy. And every single time, two, three more guys would hop in eventually. And so the same thing happened. I ended up getting thrown into a wooden locker and had it splinter off. It, it like chunked off into my side. Um, I broke three ribs that night and then I broke my nose as well. And it was the first time ever that I like, I just thought, obviously I couldn't say anything to anybody. I was too afraid or too prideful to say anything to anybody. So the first time I thought I was just going to lay there and let somebody find me. Didn't end up doing that. It was probably maybe 10 minutes. I was laying there, got up, grabbed my stuff, and I was going to go back to my uh, my dorm room and butterfly bandage like myself up because my side was just gashed open. And um, I walked out into, we played in a dome. And so I walked out into the hallway. And uh, one of the, the main guy who I was always just getting in fights with at first, he was giving the interview talking about the upcoming season, talking about the new coaching staff. And he sees me and I was limping and he grabs me up under his arm and starts this. It was probably a good two or three minutes of this guy's one of the future players on our team. He's great. He's amazing. We get along so well, just basically spewing the exact opposite of our experience together. And I remember just sit like just standing there next to him thinking like, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, fortunately, the whole experience throughout college was I, I, I never like fell into drugs, never fell into alcohol, self-harm. No, like I've never thought that like I didn't want to be here. I'd never thought that, um, that I didn't deserve something better. So I never really sabotaged myself in those ways. But I remember standing under his arm thinking like this, somebody like this, somebody who's able to, you know, act one way and speak in another, just at that, at those polar opposites doesn't deserve to be alive. And so I uh, actually decided I was going to go across the street from campus. It was about nine o'clock at night. I was going to go buy a knife from big five and that I was going to kill one of my teammates the next day. And I remember walking to big five. I remember walking in. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what the cashier was wearing. I remember exactly how much the night cost everything. And I just walked back to campus kind of flipping open and closed like, Something's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I was 18. I was in a hurt place. I was confused. And I just knew that I didn't care if my situation got worse or if it got better. I only cared that like what was going on right now had to change. 
And so I just convinced myself, I didn't care if I died. I didn't care if he died. I didn't care if I went to prison forever. It just, at that point, it didn't matter. And then luckily, um, as I was walking back, some voice came into my head, told me to call my best friend. He had no idea what was going on. I didn't tell my mom, didn't tell my brother, didn't tell anybody back home what was happening. And uh, I, I dialed the phone, luckily. But as soon as he picked up, I could not speak. I just, I didn't say words, nothing. Just, I, I was kind of just sobbing into the phone. And uh, he ended up, he, he kind of consoled me a little bit, talked to me a little bit. And uh, just told me that whatever situation was going on, he didn't know what happened, but whatever's going on, nothing's bad enough that I couldn't just fly home. Like I couldn't just drop the scholarship, drop everything and come home if it was that bad. And it's the first time that that thought was even present in my brain. So at the same time, I felt relieved, but I felt really stupid because I could have thought of that probably on my own the entire time. But I was just so clouded by, you know, by my own circumstance, by what was happening, that it took an outside source to open my eyes to the fact that the solution was actually really simple. Um, ended up calling my mom that night. I ended I actually threw, so I threw the knife into the fountain. Like that's at the, at the front of our campus, right by my dorm room. And, um, ended up calling my parents, told them I got to go home. I didn't give her an explanation why I didn't say anything else. Just, I got to go home. And so that was on a, I believe a Tuesday night and I had a flight out that Saturday. So ended up flying home. Um, I actually didn't tell anybody what had happened for about six months until that same friend that I called. Uh, I used to, I worked for him when I came back home and he asked me over for dinner one night and sat me down and said, Hey, you're basically said, you're not the same kid. I, I sent off to college. He was my trainer in high school, um, for football. And he, he just said, you're not the same kid that I sent off to high school. You're a lot quieter. You're a lot more subdued. You don't joke around as much. You're not as like, you're just very serious all the time and honestly look depressed all the time. And, uh, he was like, basically, you're not leaving until you let me know actually what, like what's going on with you. And it was the first time I ever opened up, um, opened up about what had gone on. And so again, he did a great job of saying, you know, I, I'm one, I'm sorry for what you went through. Nobody should have to go through that. All the things that you obviously want to hear, but he said also, now that you've gone through that, you have a responsibility. And that was really confusing to hear. And he said, you now have a responsibility to everybody you talk to, everybody you touch from now on to use that experience to make them better and make yourself better. And he was like, honestly, I wish I could just say something right now to make everything okay and to make everything that had happened um, kind of melt away or make you forget about it. I wish that more than anything. He's like, I'm sure your mom wishes that more than anything. But I'm sitting here, I'm going to tell you, nobody can do that for you. You have to do that for yourself. And so I kind of, I really took that to heart. And from then on, and still, I try to self-regulate as much as I can. I try to talk to myself as much as I can about any, even little things now that come up. Because luckily, once you go through something like that, everything else seems so small. And so even small problems now, you just take your own personal responsibility to change them around. I, I don't look for somebody to help me out anymore. I don't look for somebody to save me from a certain situation, whether it's financial or, um, you know, with my friends, with my peers, you kind of just learn to take it on your own back and say, if somebody's going to make the change, it's gotta, it's gotta be me. And why not me? I'm the best person to do it because I know myself best. I trust myself the most. 
and you just carry on. I, I think that's the biggest thing I've carried on through life for the last five years. You know, there is you just know, there so is. much to say about that story. And the one thing that I really, I find very admirable is to be able to just take the weight out of the world on your shoulders and to make something great out of it. Like actually, you know, it's the story of Batman. Like, you know, his parents get killed right in front of him and, you know, he, he makes something great out of it versus just wallowing in his pains. And, um, and, and, and I find it really amazing how you're actually someone who, um, who, who you've said before that you'll take cliches and actually like straight up listen to those cliches. Like everything happens for a reason or, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, you know, blessings happen in disguise. What's a recent, um, cliche that you've, uh, tried to adopt, but it just didn't work. <laughs> I'm really interested in that. Recent cliche. Um, Ooh, actually really done one that people who have been in a relationship before cannot have a friendship afterwards. That's something I've always heard. And that's something I'm going through right now. And I, I believed it until it happened. And then I'm like, Oh no, you actually can. If you're smart and choose to, uh, to be intelligent and mature about it. That's, I mean, it's a very small one because it's, it's just really recent, but that's definitely the most recent one where you've heard something your entire life. Until you experience it yourself and then you're like, oh, everybody was just stupid or unwilling to try or, you know, whatever reason you want to give people just I think people just don't put enough effort or put enough thought behind certain things. So they kind of write it off as it's impossible. I love that. I see. I don't know if anybody else can see this, but I can see this, that your mind works in a very different way. Um mm-hmm. Like you're someone to me, at least that, uh, looks at this, this big problem and actually like falls in love with it versus someone who mm-hmm. goes and gets overwhelmed. And, um, I mean, from not for, not from the context of just your story, but just how you answered that, that question alone for me it was someone mm-hmm. that, um, is very, uh, like they, they have a good mindful way of thinking of things. Do you contribute mindfulness at all to your success and how you coach someone or help someone through their own problems? Yeah, I think I I think the biggest asset in helping other people is being genuine. Um, I don't put my own maybe negative thoughts or beliefs about myself onto other people when I'm talking to them. I allow them to stand alone and I kind of allow them to be who they are within the context of what we're talking about. And I think that's something that I really noticed when I was transitioning kind of from, you know, late teens into adulthood, where I was being told by so many adults, so many like limiting things about, I mean, anything, success, about jobs, about relationships, about kids, about everything. And I stepped back and realized it was coming from their own, I don't want to, maybe, yeah, maybe inadequacy where if they didn't accomplish something or if they weren't able to do something in the right way, they pass it off as impossible because when you're met with something like that, and I think about it quite often about like some of the people I grew up with, like I didn't grow up in a great neighborhood. 
We didn't grow up with any money at all. We were on food stamps. We had just kind of the bare minimum, but we still had enough. Where when I started, when I one when I got my scholarship, then when I started speaking, then when I opened up my marketing company, I'd still get comments back home from um, just random people thinking that I <laughs> there was a rumor going around back home that I had sold drugs, and that's why I was able to travel and speak and do random things. Um, just I, I think people making excuses for my I guess success or just my ability to transition from where I grew up to something new. And I quickly realized that people either have to say, we grew up in the same circumstance. We had the same privileges in most ways. I mean, the only difference is my, my size and my height for football, but that has nothing to do with me being able to speak or anything like that. They either have to say, we had the same cards dealt to us and he played them differently and I didn't. Therefore, I should have done better. Or they have to say, there's something wrong with that person who's attained something that I haven't. And I think that's a big thing is people are very, very quick to say there must be something wrong with that person. That's why, you know, whenever you see a successful celebrity, people sometimes will assume like Illuminati or there's some outside um, entity kind of making their success for them as opposed to them just saying maybe that person just thinks different or they actually just work different than I do. Yeah, it's really amazing that uh, we don't get to choose the cards that we're dealt. We only get to choose how we're going to play them. And uh, mm-hmm. I I agree with that so much that um, anybody that's in the same circumstance that, or not circumstance, but in the same history um, in which they came from a different or the same pedigree that you did, often they now uh, believe that you're doing something kind of shady. If you have any success doing it, doing anything uh, that may be uh, almost like living a dream, like your dream right now, living as a professional motivational speaker. When when you found yourself actually um, making a living at what you love to do, uh, did you have to start saying no to things like friendships that you used to have? And did you actually have to go through that whole transition of, of making new, different friends just to continue your the path that you're on today? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think most, luckily for me, most people remove themselves along the way. Um, friends, family, really anybody. And, and something that the college stuff taught me was, again, when the people you feel are closest to you are able to do just the worst things to you or able to act in such a way. It gave me a good perspective of it really doesn't matter who the person is or what, what, um, what position they hold in my life. They're, I don't want to say that they're like exchangeable, but it's, it, it taught me that it doesn't matter who somebody is. They're still capable of being a human being and making human being mistakes. And so because of who I am. And I think I'm an incredibly polarizing person. I don't think very many people are on the fence with me. I don't think very many people don't know whether they like me or not. I think it's, it's a very clear choice for, for pretty much everybody, whether they agree with me or they vibe with me or not. And so most people have removed themselves. Um, there have been a few times where I've had to say, you know, the path that I was going down with somebody wasn't somewhere I was willing to put myself. And so I've been able to split ways in those, in those aspects, but whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, whatever you want to call that thing that drives everything. 
um, has done a very good job in my life of just removing things that are unnecessary, things that I don't need or want. You know, you said earlier uh, that, um, you know, at one point in your life, uh, you wanted to hurt someone so bad that you didn't care if you went to jail or if, you know, they, they hurt you bad back that you were kind of committing. Um, you're committing such a bad crime that in a way it was kind of like self-infliction. But I, I mm-hmm. love how your mind doesn't believe that it was actually an act of potential suicide. Uh, what do you think gave you the mindset to shift from believing that um, it's potential, it's like potential energy versus, I guess, uh, the very opposite, which is just destructive energy? What You said what was a shift? Yeah, what makes you... Th- what makes you believe so much in positive energy? Cause like you I, I, even when you're telling that story, like your mind didn't want to believe in the sort of, uh, that you were committing such a bad crime that you were about to, that it was almost like suicide. And cause you, yeah. you didn't care what the outcome was. Right. Exactly. So I, I, I think it was very, I don't think it was optimistic. I think it was realistic at the time. It was true. It wasn't that I didn't think about the bad consequences. It was that I thought about them, but didn't care. I thought about them and was okay with them. Like I, I have seen prison documentaries. I've seen, you know, what, what happens. I have people that I know who have been to prison, who have like been in those situations. But at the time, again, you're 18, you're confused. You think you're supposed to be a grown man, but you still don't know how to deal with what, you know, what life's throwing at you. I think it's, it's just an easy decision to say, I don't care if things get worse. I don't care if things get better. Things just need to change. So I don't think that had anything to do with optimism. It was just something's got to shift. I think since then and lessons that I've learned since then, my mind has shifted very much in the positive light just because I've, I've seen more benefit from it. I've seen more benefit of assuming things are great, but preparing for things to be negative. Um, yeah, it's like the hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. I just, I've now come to a point where when things go wrong or when people do negative things, it's not a surprise to me anymore. And it's not that I was expecting the worst to happen, but it was just that when it does, I'm not surprised. I've seen people act in crazy ways that don't make sense to me. So it would be crazy for me to now say, you did something wrong and I'm so appalled and I'm so offended. I'm so, you know pushed out of my own lane by it. I've seen it before and, and it kind of just makes sense now. It's just human behavior. Yeah. I love the singing in the background. That's great. Yeah. It's one of my roommates. <laughs> nice. Um, so real life is happening as you can see. Uh, I think Kyrie is not right now uh, speaking motivationally and he's not on a stage at the moment, but um, I'm really interested in the man that's, really the person when he's alone you've talked about uh an exercise that you sometimes do where you sit and you just look into the mirror and you stare at yourself in the mirror for hours on end and do you recommend anybody else try that and um what happened to you during your experience when you did do that so because of that exercise and i don't do it anymore but i did it quite a bit at the time Unless you know for sure that anything that comes up when you're just staring kind of at yourself in the face and 
facing things that you like about yourself, that you don't like about yourself, that are hard, that are difficult, unless you know that you can handle every single aspect of that, of who you are and like even who you don't mean to be sometimes, I wouldn't recommend it if there's any, if there's any chance of that going the wrong way or of you taking it the wrong way or down a dark path. I think I was in a position where I just needed such a big shift in my life that that was a big shift that I needed to make. It didn't matter what came up. I was going to deal with it. I made a, just a big promise to myself that no matter what came up, it was going to be handled right then and there. And that was going to be the end of it. I know that a lot of uh, the listeners, a bulk of my listeners are people that are, are down in the dumps right now. Uh, they have some sort of addiction. They have some sort of trauma that they've had that happened to them. And uh, a lot of them, I know, want to be motivational speakers like yourself, and they just don't know where to start. They don't know where to go, and they don't even know how to make money in that. Uh, what, yeah. what What would you want to tell that person that just that really wants to get out there and face their fears finally? Um, volunteer your time first. I started off volunteering. Um, I spoke with foster groups. I spoke with youth organizations. I just started reaching out to people basically. And I, maybe mine was a little bit different because I already had a platform as an athlete. And so I would go like give warm up talks to like local high school football teams before their games or speaking at rallies at schools. I already was just well connected locally in my hometown. But I think with anybody, just reach out to nonprofit organizations, reach out to children's groups, reach out to anybody you can that fits who you want to speak to and just volunteer your time at first. Eventually people will just say, Hey, I want you to come out and speak. Cause I heard, you know, you spoke for such and such organization. And I'm friends with the head of whatever department and they recommended you to come speak for us. Can we pay for your gas to come out here? And then it is, can we pay you a hundred dollars? Can we pay you $200? Um, I think maybe at six months after I started speaking, like for free, I just randomly had somebody message me on Facebook and say, Hey, somebody posted a video. And I went to that person's profile and they had another video that you had posted that I watched. And because of a shared post on Facebook, we now want you. I flew to, uh, to Marshall, Texas. And I think I got paid maybe $500 at the time for, for an hour long keynote speech. And then from there, I got connected with a bunch of different colleges and just kind of started flying around doing that as well. Wow. That's really amazing. And I think that's so, it's the weird paradox that happened. Paradox. Guys, I can talk. Uh, it's the weird, the weird paradox that happens to us. The sort of like, you know, when you try to not think negatively, you'll sometimes think negatively. I think most of the time you will. Or if you try to make money in some area, most of the time you'll just be money hungry and you'll be doing it for the wrong things. But when you actually like, at least I've discovered from, from you, my friend, is like when you do something because you want to do it and you would do it so badly that you would almost pay that person to do it and even maybe do it for free, that uh, that will turn inevitably into something that you can make money off of. And, um, I think that's just admirable too. It's just, it's also what creates a life that's uh, 
healthy, wealthy, and meaningful and filled with love versus a life that's just all about making money and making a new sale off of somebody. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, I think that a lot comes down to mindset because I've been in the mindset where things were scarce. Like I didn't have the money that I needed even just to pay my bills for the month. I don't, that was for three, about three years that every single month, I don't know if I'm going to make my car payment or if I'm going to pay rent where it's easy to fall into that trap of I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make myself out to be something that I'm not or make myself out to be better at what I do than I really am to try to elicit more money from this person or try to, you know, posture myself as something. But I, I really quickly and luckily before that even started for me, because I, I did see my mind going there. Luckily, the actions were never there. Again, even with a lot of older people, this woman. So I started interviewing people. I've done 860 eight or nine interviews. Um, and I started interviewing people, just picking their brains on stuff. How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about life? How do you feel about the world around you? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What do you fear? What do you love? Things like that. And a woman, I asked to interview her and she asked how much I was charging to interview her. I said, ma'am, absolutely nothing. I just want to gain perspective. And she said, well, then I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to fail as an entrepreneur because Unless you, what did she say? Unless your goal is to make a million dollars on any project, your project will fail. <laughs> and it was just, luckily, again, I had understood myself enough at the time to know that she was kind of full of shit. And I kindly and politely and very sarcastically asked her how much money she made last year. And she said, 80 something thousand dollars. And I said, ma'am, how long have you been doing what you do? She said, oh, well, I've been a professional, whatever, for the last 17 years. I said, ma'am, then you should quit. By your own logic, you should just quit and never do that again because you haven't made a million dollars doing what you're doing. And so, therefore, you're a failure as an entrepreneur. She got pissed off and you know, didn't talk to me anymore. But it was just funny, the flawed logic. And I think a lot of people share it. I've seen it a lot in the space where in the motivational, entrepreneurial, marketing, business type space, so many people have these beliefs that they think that they believe until it applies to them. I think that's why a lot of people are able to kind of masquerade around as we're trying to help, we're trying to help. Then when it comes down to actually helping somebody, well, now you got to pay me. Now you have to, you know, do something for me in order to get something back. When I know hearing a lot of people's stories, they start off a lot like mine or you've been through something and you want to help other people not experience the same things that you've experienced. And so like, even for our conversation, you expected a sales pitch. We, we talked for what an hour and a half and you asked me for a sales pitch afterwards. Like, what are you pitching? What do you want to sell me? What coaching program? And you were shocked when I said nothing. And that to me, like it honestly made me sad. I was like, ugh, that just shows how many people who do what I do have to make a gain off of it every single time, no matter what. Well, I turned off my mic because I was laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah, that's the truth, guys. That's the authenticity of it is I was done with this awesome, amazing talk from Kyrie, and I was fully aware of 
the possibility that he might go. Now are you looking for a coach? And I'm I'm at a crossroads right now with it. It is something that I'm struggling with right now because I do think that someone's time, someone's service, and their knowledge is is so important. And I don't think that life, unfortunately, um, can be continual with <laughs> with only just people servicing everyone because you're volunteering does turn into a scarcity problem where now, all right, I've been volunteering so much like hours on end. Now I've got no money to actually pay the bills because I've just been volunteering. And so this is where I kind of want to transition is what sort of thing would you recommend for someone that does need to make some money fast? I mean, I know that you have a marketing business on the side, but um, and if you want to go into that, we can go into that and what you do and how you actually sometimes have to, you know, bite down and actually make some dough so you can, well, eat some dough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say at the beginning, I didn't even know what marketing was. Um, so my first my first thought for people. And, and this is when I was maybe 19, I started doing that. I started driving for Lyft and Uber at the same time. And I would turn on one app because you're allowed to drive for 14 hours. Um, for Lyft and Uber, I think you're allowed to drive for 14 hours and then you have to take a six hour break. And so what I would do is I would drive for 14 hours using one app and then I would switch immediately over to the second app. So I would drive for 28 hours straight. I probably had to fill up my gas tank six or seven times during that time. And I would go drive for Lyft and Uber in San Francisco. And I would make probably $750 a week. I mean, a lot of that went to gas and car maintenance. But that's the only way I was able to pay my bills. Um, and at the beginning, I had a full-time job still. So I would get off work at 3 o'clock. And I would head straight over. I would drive the hour-long drive to San Francisco and drive literally all night, wake up and go to work the next day. And then I would rest. So I would drive every two days. And it was just, I wanted, I had to do everything that I could to make things work and to make things happen. So if you can go out and find any way to grab that little bit of extra that you need. I was also volunteering my time at the same time as well. Like I was doing those speeches. That's when I was first starting out speaking and I didn't get paid for it. I was volunteering this time because I was making capital over here. And I still do kind of the same thing where my marketing company is my income. That's how I pay my bills. That's how I pay my employees. That's how I do everything that I do throughout the day. That's how I'm able to travel so that I can give my time away in other aspects so that I can give people what they need on my off time. And I've been able to create, create kind of that ecosystem for myself that I'll just, I'll keep that forever. My marketing company is growing and it'll continue to grow. To where eventually I'll step back from marketing. I don't love marketing. I'm just good at it. So that's why it works right now. But eventually I'll be able to put somebody in charge. I'll be able to step back, manage a few of the bigger projects, and that's it. And then I can focus full time on just providing everything that I can for people. And that's been the goal since the beginning. Well, that's a, that's a key word right there. Is you have an overall goal. Like, for example, you know that you're really good in this one area. Like, that's your strength is marketing. But you know that that doesn't make you truly happy in the end, right? And there's other people that probably have 
the same struggle right now. They know they're really good at sales, for example, like selling cars, and they know that that money will put food on the table. But what they truly want to do is have an online business of their own and, and create something that is meaningful in life or I don't know what it is for you guys. I'm not, I can't read your minds. I'm not that amazing. I know I'm pretty awesome, but I'm not that amazing. Um, <laughs> and uh, the thing is, though, I do want to ask you this, uh, just because we're kind of winding down just a, a few kind of last questions that I like to ask almost all my all my guests. But you've given so much uh, value already, so I want to say thank you for that. So um, whenever you're ready, though, I'll ask you a few more questions. Of course, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, so, what is Kyrie Oliver's spirit animal? It's got to be a grizzly bear, just because I look like a grizzly bear. You really do. <laughs> yeah. You really do. I really, I, and and I say that in the most loving way, my friend. The headshot that you sent me is not the one that I'm going to put up for this, because you do not look like that anymore, my man. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was before the beard. Yeah, no, you do. You look, you look like a uh, black man Wolverine. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's that's kind of always been like that. that. Was my nickname in high school? It's on the back of my Letterman's jacket from high school. There's no way that that can be taken in a negative light. You can call me. Yeah, I'm just definitely has to be a grizzly bear. There's no nothing else that would even possibly fit. Nice, nice, nice. Um, I like to ask this question because I think it's funny. If Kyrie Oliver was a juice, what juice would he be? Ooh, and what sucks is I'm allergic to it is pineapple starfruit. Oh, man, that's a terrible thing to be allergic to. I'm allergic to all tropical fruits, and it's the worst thing in the world. Ah, buddy, I am so sorry. So yeah, I'd be that. Um, what is um a blessing in disguise that you recently just went through? Recently went through. I'd say dropping a lot of my clients. I dropped every client that was a headache and immediately I cut my income in about a quarter and got to the point where I was like, Oh, I, I may have done a little bit too much to where now I have to scramble again. I got to figure things out again. And um, within three weeks, just because I, I choose now not to go crazy and stress out over things like that anymore and just trust that if I put the work in that just what I need will be provided for me. And so, yeah, that was a real blessing in disguise because I, I'd like, I felt that, that panic button kind of playing in the back of my head. I just decided to kind of calm it down and then now have replaced all that income with great clients. It was, it was everybody I was giving a deal to, which was kind of annoying as well, where I didn't charge them full price for my services. I gave them a little bit extra. I did a little bit more and that was taken advantage of quite a bit. And so now I started to realize that you have to be very careful of, of you know, who you give those deals to and who you give these things to and that at the end of the day, paying customers are more than likely going to be the ones that are best and easiest to work with because they see the value in what they're getting. That was probably the biggest one that's recently. Yeah. 
Kyrie man. I didn't want to say it earlier, but that's the truth, dude. Sometimes people need skin in the game to actually follow. Like if if I th- I think if someone paid a thousand dollars just to listen to this interview, which they're not going to, they're going to listen to it for free, and they're probably not going to take notes. And when I ask them to leave a review at the end, like just go down to your iTunes, it's simple, or go down to your your Android device and check out the reviews area and just leave a review of what you think about the show and take a quote from it. And then also share it on your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter. Like I know that probably 96.9% of those people probably won't do it because they didn't pay anything for it. They didn't have any skin in the game. And I'm not saying that they're bad people. It's just that when you don't have anything to really uh, lose, you won't take action. And that's the, the suckiest part about this industry. I think at least is that we all just, uh, we don't have any skin in the game. And when people are getting yeah. motivation for free on, on YouTube all the time and all this free knowledge, it's just, nobody's actually doing any of this amazing work that they can do with their life and actually become successful in what any area they want, because all of the resources are there. <laughs> I think I think you you kind of have a trade off, and I think that's why it's important to have both. I think it's important to have things that you give up for free, free content, free everything. You look at like a Gary Vaynerchuk and how much he posts and how much he puts out. He puts out so much content every single day, hours and hours and hours of his life is just out there for free for people. But on the back end, he's also got other things that you can buy to amplify results and amplify your success. So you take the free, you do everything you can with it. You squeeze the juice out of what you get for free. You squeeze whatever you get out of this podcast or any other podcast people listen to. Squeeze everything you can out of, um, you know, any, uh, there's so many books online that you can get for free and all you do is pay for shipping. You get as much as you can out of those. And once it's time to level up, then you start paying for higher end services. But people should always have at least one or two things and pieces of themselves that they just give away for free. If you really, really care, I think you're going to find it in yourself. And I think you're just you're going to be excited to give away a piece of yourself for free so that anybody can consume it. Unfortunately, because people do need kind of skin in the game to take things serious, maybe some of your real, real golden nuggets or your real expertise, the things that you hold closest to you have to be purchased at the end of the day. But you should always, always, always give pieces of yourself and give pieces of your knowledge away for free. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it's all about is it's, you're going to get so much, I think more pleasure out of it too. When you know you service someone and you ask for nothing in, 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 it, in return. And like you said, it is a trade off because sometimes in life, um, just the best things happen. Like you said, the, the cliche thing, everything happens for a reason. And when you got that message on Facebook randomly to do an hour long keynote speak, speaking role, something that you would love to do all the time. And you got 500 mm-hmm. bucks for just an hour of your time. Like that's incredible. That is amazing. But what you, what you did for years is you're doing, you're pumping out free speak free free motivational speaking roles and you weren't like asking for anything in return and you were doing it because a you were practicing your art and b um you were also just 
connecting with people. And that's the best thing of it all is, is if you can make a connection with someone and they're not paying you for it. And then when you ask them for just a dollar at, you know, at the end, just to, to share this with someone or to do something for you in return, they'll do it because they become a true fan. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking too much. I realized, uh, guys, this interview stuff is hard for me, guys. I, I just, <laughs> I wanted it to be about Kyrie and I'm not letting it happen. Um, but, uh, I did want to ask that question. Um, so thank you so much for answering that. That's a really, that's a good insight. Of course. I think it's, I think it's important. And I think like, yeah, this interview is going well. I think it's fine. I think it's what your 13th interview, something like that. There's people who've done thousands and thousands before they even get decent at it. You look at a lot of the big people, big personalities. Now they had to have years and years and years of trial and error before they actually got to where they're at right now. So that's not even something even to remotely worry about. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for the reassurance. Of course. It's just, uh, you know, everyone wants to be great at what they do. And that's a learning lesson in its own. You have to kind of suck at stuff, like really, really suck at it and be okay with sucking uh, until you get good at anything. And also, I think uh, mainly what you've taught me is to define that overall goal, like to know that this is the overall goal of it all. So if you're sucking at it and you're doing it for free, that's okay because you have sort of that that uh, that backup plan. That sort of like um, that's not backup plan. I hate that word, but you know that there's something else in the chamber when you need to lock and load. Always. So, uh, but thank you, dude. Uh, this is this has been great. I do want to do one more one more question just to leave it out. Is and um, this is first of all just been a real ride for me because I just know our relationship uh, will only get better. And I dude, I love you, man. Like everything that you're doing is incredible. Um, but I really want to ask you, uh, what is an itch that you've been ignoring in your life that you need to scratch? It could be that conversation that you're scared to have, or it could be a passion that you're excited to finally start up and try. Um, actually right now it's going to be getting back into speaking. I haven't done it for a while, about six months, and just getting back into that, I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, because again, that that's what I started this thing for, and I've kind of, in order to grow the, you know, the side hustle, it, the side hustle became the main hustle for marketing, and so kind of re-gearing up and getting back into the speaking world is going to be awesome. So, so cool, dude. I'm so, pr- so proud of you, man. And I think it's, it's actually a real valuable thing to do for somebody that's anybody that feels like they're, they're giving up or they're quitting by not doing their passion right now, right here, all the time, 24 yeah. seven. Like, take a break. Like, breaks are incredible. <laughs> that's why the cliche, everything happens for a reason is so true because hell, like, I, I went to school for acting and I don't know if I'm going to get back into it. But I still have that itch that I do need to scratch every now and then that just does some weird monologue while I'm walking on the street or, you know, does something like that. And um, and so like when you want to create an art, it's just it's inside of you. You know, you don't have to work hard at it. It's just inside of you and it'll come back when you need to scratch it. 
Mm-hmm. So, but I, with that, um, hey, Tyria, how can people uh, find you if they do want to find you? Um, so either my email, KyrieOliver94 at gmail.com. You guys got any questions, any comments? I'd love to hear them on this podcast. Um, I don't have to spell my name. It'll be in the title of everything. Or Kyrie Oliver on Facebook, um, at Kyrie Oliver on Instagram. I think that's it. Nice man, and I'll uh, I'll put your your email in the show notes if that's okay with you. Otherwise, I can leave it out. Yeah, awesome. No, no, you can put it in. Sweet man, thank you so much for being on uh, Scratch Your Own Itch, man. Definitely, I'm glad you have me. Thank you. Thank you. Alright guys, so there you have it. Another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch. That was an incredible interview with Kyrie Oliver. Um, That guy had some really amazing wisdom to share with me and anybody else that's listening right now. And I'm happy that he got to share his story here. Um, And I just want you guys to know that you guys mean a lot to me. And I mean that when I say that. So thank you so much for always showing up and being here with me. And if you found any of this useful and you'd like to share it with a friend or a family member, please do. And if you want to take real action in your life, take a quote from this interview and Instagram about it or put it on Facebook or put it out on Twitter or do any of that social media loving that you love to do. And if you need help and you want to feel a little less alone, please don't be shy to reach out to me. I'd love to interact with you. So thank you guys again for always supporting the show just by listening. And don't ever forget, you matter and you are enough. <laughs>